What up and welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast brought to you by Subway, whose new Sweet Versus chicken sandwiches are making people choose which side they're on. I'm Joe Wolfon. I am joined in studio, of course, by Joseph Cacharo. That was a fascinating night of the association. It was. Um, so this is kind of an emergency bonus episode uh, because we had planned to just get an episode out tomorrow to preview the playoff picture, but we, we had to get in here today to talk about what was the craziest night of regular season NBA basketball that I can remember. It started off with Magic Johnson completely unexpectedly uh, calling an impromptu press conference and stepping down as president of basketball operations from the Los Angeles Lakers. So let's start there. Cash, what did you make of this announcement? I know you wrote a piece about it this morning, and I think you know we were all obviously a bit mystified. But is this, is this a complete surprise to you, given the way that this season has gone, given Magic Johnson and who he is, um, and looking toward the future of the team and, and kind of what looked like maybe an unproductive summer ahead. I mean, is this really such a surprise? I think it is. I think it's pretty shocking. Um, look, Magic had said before, he said last year that if he didn't get it, you know, a big free agent last summer, he was going to step down. But I think he said that because he knew LeBron was probably coming. And he had. I think he might have mentioned it again, that if you know, they don't turn it around within a couple of years, he would be willing to step down. But right. I don't think anyone saw it coming right now, and definitely no one saw it coming that abruptly. He didn't even tell Jeannie Buss before. Jeannie Buss, who he loves like a sister, they've grown up together as part of like Lakers lore. He didn't tell her. He said he couldn't tell her because they both would cry and she'd convince him to stay. So that, that's how um, impromptu this was. He literally, Luke Walton did his pregame address. Magic Johnson saw that there was the horde of reporters there and was like, all right, I'm just going to go do this now. Walked up to them, told them he was stepping down. Right. Jeannie Buss had no idea. LeBron James apparently had no idea. He had a three-hour meeting with Jeannie Buss on Monday and even joked about the fact that on Tuesday, people were asking him and talking to him about like next year and the future. And his exact quote was like, wow, I'm not going to be here. Like it, it was, it was the whole thing was pretty bizarre. And apparently, he had met with LeBron and Rich Paul pretty recently as Saturday, well, and, yeah. and given no indication that anything like this was coming. And I mean, you know, like you said, if if he had met with Genie Bus, he felt like he would have been talked into staying, and he really didn't want that. And I mean, in a way, I can respect this. Like this was very forthright and honest for Magic. Uh, you know, him basically coming out and saying, "Look, I'm not happy in this job. I want to go back to my other life." where I could, you know, tweet and say whatever I want about any other NBA player without getting hit with a tampering fine, where I'm not under the microscope and being scrutinized for the decisions I'm making, but where I'm basically glorified as an ambassador for the game. That's the role in which he feels most comfortable, and I can respect that. You know, obviously, being, you know, the president of basketball for the Lakers, I mean, that's a high-stress job, and not everybody is cut out for it. And Magic, you know, despite obviously being a basketball genius who had a magnificent career and and has been one of the great ambassadors for the sport I think he was pretty plainly out of his depth in this role and for him to recognize that and say look you know not only am I not enjoying this but I'm not particularly good at it well I guess that's where the counter would be because I don't think he did acknowledge that I think he 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 definitely acknowledged he didn't want this job and he didn't want the stress of it and he liked you know in his own words I'm a free bird and I was handcuffed like he literally said that at this press conference he admitted all of that and that he wants to go back to you know his tweets and all that 
But the whole thing of him acknowledging he wasn't particularly good at it, I don't think he did. I think he at one point said he doesn't, he isn't disappointed by any of the decisions he made. He continually said that the Lakers are in great shape. He said they're one player away from the West Finals, and with LeBron, they're halfway there, which I guess is kind of true. Mm-hmm. But to me, yeah, I, I do commend him for being like, you know what, I'm not enjoying this. It's not worth it. I've got this great life. I don't need this, for sure. But I definitely don't think that he is accepting of the fact that he was terrible at this job. Okay, I could maybe he wasn't accepting of the fact that he made poor decisions uh, while he was in power there. But I think he did more or less acknowledge the fact that he was not cut out for this. And I think that's maybe just a testament to his personality. Like, Magic is this gregarious guy who obviously, I mean, he was saying he he wanted to be able to mentor Ben Simmons when Ben Simmons reached out to him. Um, You know, that's the role he feels comfortable playing. And like, if you want to be an executive in the NBA, this stuff's pretty cutthroat. And I just don't think that's really in Magic's nature. And I do think in the course of that rambling three-hour press conference that he gave, that he he did basically acknowledge that. um, And that, you know, this wasn't a good fit in terms of, uh, you know, his personality and how he views himself. And how he would have needed to uh, to kind of adapt to do a good job as as a basketball executive. Um, so, I mean, I'll say, as much as you know, Woj was getting uncharacteristically spicy uh, on Twitter, basically saying this was an embarrassment for the Lakers organization, and I think a lot of people sort of felt like him not communicating this to Genie Bus ahead of time. He was sort of leaving the the Lakers organization in the lurch. I think this is a good thing for the Lakers. Um, and particularly, you know, if they decide that they're going to learn from their past mistakes and in their search for a new president of basketball operations, you know, not make another legacy hire, but actually cast a wider net and find the most qualified candidate. And, um, you know, if they do that, I, I think they're going to be in better shape because, you know, like we've been saying for a really long time, I, I don't think the magic was cut out for this position. I don't know what happens to Rob Polinka now, but I think as long as there is an executive, you know, with experience and with clout who is going to have a final say on personnel decisions, I, I don't think it really matters too much. Speaking of Rob Palinka, Magic also seemed to kind of admit that um, that was Genie's hire more than his because right. he admitted in the in this press conference that he didn't know who Rob Palinka was <laughs> until Genie Bus paired them together. Yeah. Even though at the time it was... Didn't really so- offer a strong endorsement for no. him either when, no. um, you know, Rachel Nichols asked him do you think Rob Polinka should stay in this job? And he basically demurred by saying, I think that's genius decision. Yeah, so, said the same thing about Walton. Yeah, and, and the thing that, you know, the, the reporting at least has been that basically Genie Bus had given Magic Johnson license to fire Luke Walton, even though in Magic's words, he didn't want to force Genie Bus to choose between the two of them. By all accounts, I mean, he had, he had, free reign and he and he had license to fire Walton if that is what he felt like he needed to do so I mean that's going to be a really interesting situation do you think Luke Walton keeps his job after this mess I don't yeah I I mean I think it's maybe one percent more likely he keeps his job today than it was yesterday but I still think at the end of the day if Jeannie had gotten to the point where she was willing to let Magic get rid of Luke and I think one thing I I like what you mentioned is this is kind of their ability the Lakers chance as embarrassing as it is because I do think Woj is right in that sense like I think it could be good for them in the long run while still being incredibly embarrassing for the franchise and the mm-hmm. way it all went down. Um, but I do think um, Magic's almost now given Jeannie Buss an opportunity to like clean house again and restore order, which is what she was supposed to be doing when she fired her brother and replaced him with right. Magic Johnson. 
Um, but I think she's got an opportunity to do that again, and I think she'll take that opportunity. I wouldn't be surprised if Rob palinka has gone. And yeah, I, I definitely think Walton's probably gone. The big thing now is like, what do the Lakers do? Like Magic, as he said, Magic's going to go back to his happy life. Magic's right. going to be go back to being a beloved <laughs> former player, uh, humanitarian, one of the best humanitarians like in you know the sports world has ever produced. As I wrote in my piece, he's going to go back to being uh, basketball Twitter's Captain Obvious with terrible takes. He's going to love his life. The Lakers, on the other hand, actually have to like do some work and get out of this and you know land a free agent or develop the young guys or just like be better in all respects. Hire yeah. a sound basketball mind to run your operations. Hire a good coach. Like If they come back with, I don't know who and Jason Kidd, like, I don't know, are they really better off? I mean, probably not. Um, I, we haven't really seen Jason Kidd operate as an executive, so who really knows? But again, I think I think they should be thinking more outside the box than looking at these like retread candidates. And I mean, that said, David Griffin, I guess, would be a retread candidate, and I still think he would be a, a good hire for them if they managed to bring him in. There are rumors about him potentially taking the Pelicans' job. Um, David Griffin actually was on this podcast uh, a few weeks back and said that he wasn't particularly a fan of the way the Lakers had built their team and it obviously ran counter to how he had run the Cavaliers uh, and built those teams around LeBron Um, so I mean he's obviously proven that he can put finals and championship teams around LeBron and maybe he's the guy who can come in and and fix this situation but I, I do think they just they need to think a little bit bigger and a little bit bolder and and Jason Kidd and Mark Jackson Monty Williams even I mean these aren't the kind of hires I don't think that are going to inspire a lot of optimism about what this team is going to do moving forward from an executive standpoint and this is something I was thinking of last night I know a few people were tweeting it too and I don't know how well it would be received and even myself I don't I, I guess it would be kind of like a step backwards for the Lakers if they're trying to move forward but you're talking about like bold and you're talking about trying to restore the Lakers legacy LeBron connection there is a certain godfather of an executive out in Miami. Okay. Who's, you know, not exactly overseeing a championship contender right now. Dwayne Wade's on his way out. You know, the heat, the era of heat basketball with Wade and Riley together is done. Would you be shocked if the Lakers reached out and piqued Pat Riley's interest? I mean, I hadn't thought about that until right now, but I guess I wouldn't be shocked. It's just you haven't really heard any whispers right. about, about anything to that effect and I mean Riley is you know not young uh so I, I don't know how much longer he wants to keep doing this but you know if if given the opportunity to kind of rebuild the Lakers prestige which he obviously had a big part in uh but you know coaching those Showtime teams in the 80s yes that would be another legacy hire but again I think uh there are exceptions to every rule and I think you know if that was the guy they brought in then I I could definitely see the rationale behind it and um and just the last thing with that point too, the Riley point is that he's the one executive who's shown the ability to, I don't want to say control LeBron because no one controls LeBron but LeBron, but to at least rein him in when it comes to like organizational power, right? There's the infamous year one in Miami. LeBron apparently made that veiled comment to Pat Riley about if he ever gets the itch mm-hmm. to coach again. And Pat Riley shut it down from the beginning. Like Eric Spolster is your coach and that's not changing. And I think maybe the Lakers do need that kind of executive, and I, I don't know how many of them are out there that could kind of wield that power while sitting in a room with LeBron James. Pat Riley could. and Right. 
I mean, look, at the end of the day, the Lakers are not in a great spot right now, and it sure doesn't seem like they're going to land their off-season targets. I, I don't, don't think they're going to end up trading for Anthony Davis, at least not this summer. Um, and it doesn't seem like any of the marquee free agents are particularly keen on signing there. This is still a very attractive job. Yes, it's high stress. Yes, there's a ton of scrutiny. But you get a chance to build a team around LeBron James, you know, the greatest player of his generation, who is still, you know, even if he's at the tail end of his prime, like he, he still has a lot left to give. And it's the Lakers, man. I mean, I think they should basically have their pick of the litter when it comes to picking the next guy. And I don't think they should rush into anything. I mean, at the same time, they do have a pretty big offseason coming up, so they can't afford to drag their feet either. But, um, I, you know, I think they obviously have to think long and hard about the kind of person they want to bring in. So not Ernie Grunfeld. Okay, let's... Uh, <laughs> um, hey, he's available. He's a friend yeah. of the show and available. <laughs> What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also encourage you to check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL. And the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone tackles, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, please download the Score app, which is available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our featured content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. Let's talk about some other Yeah, let's things. bounce around. Let's talk about some other things that happened last night, uh, which, again, was just a wild night in the league. And one thing that was sort of tangentially related to this Lakers situation was Anthony Davis showing up to his presumed final Pelicans game. Which he did not play in. He did not play in. He was wearing a shirt that said, that's all, folks. And Alvin Gentry was also asked after the game just about the whole situation. And he said it was the most toxic thing that he has seen in his 31 years in the NBA he said Davis was a good kid who got some bad advice. So, I mean, what do you what do you make of that situation? Because, look, I I, I don't know it, like w- what is going to happen with Anthony Davis in the off season, but the Celtics are in flux right now, and basically it seemed like the whole reason the Pelicans opted not to trade into the Lakers at the deadline was so that they could hold out and get that Celtics offer in the off season. I mean, if they flame out in the playoffs and Kyrie is gone, where do we go from there? Yeah. The- First of all, the genius of wearing the That's All Folks shirt, um, there's layers to this from like an NBA uh, Zapruder film examination standpoint. So it's ob- the obvious thing of like he's probably done in New Orleans, but also That's All Folks, the Looney Tunes connection, Space Jam, LeBron, Lakers. I I'm very much believe that Anthony Davis, Rich Paul agent, they knew exactly what everything about that's all folks meant when he put that on and walked into the arena so that's one uh in terms of where they go from there look i yeah it it would i guess hurt their um their return for davis if the celtics are out of the mix but i still think whether even if the lakers and the celtics are both out of the running like someone's giving them something substantial for anthony davis whether Mm -hmm. it's a high pick and you know it's looking like a pretty great draft or whatever the case may be they're getting something of substantial value for him so i wouldn't be that concerned about that yeah, I mean, fair enough, but I, I think um, it's just interesting to hear somebody like Alvin Gentry, who's been oh, around the game 100%. for so long, say that this is the most toxic situation he's ever seen. Um, I mean, for us, not not having had that same kind of experience, it is pretty hard to argue, because the the effect that it had on 
potentially three teams this season uh, is really quite remarkable. Just like a ton of ripple effects. And for, you know, both the Lakers and the Pelicans, both those teams are probably pretty glad to see this season end. Yeah. And real quick, just shout out to Alvin Gentry and the Pelicans because I've mentioned it before, but they... I, like I expected them to just go fully in the tank after the Davis stuff happened around the deadline, like when they were already out of the race. Mm-hmm. And to their credit, they didn't win a lot of games, but they honestly competed. They competed yeah. in a way like the Lakers never did. Right. They were honest. very professional about right. the whole thing. So kudos to them. Yeah. A bunch of other things happened last night. Uh, two things happening sort of simultaneously. Dwayne Wade and Dirk Nowitzki played their final home games. Uh, Dirk had not announced that he was going to retire before this sort of showy finale. And it started to become obvious when they put together this whole ceremony for him after the game. When, Not even after the game. Did you see the video of when he arrived at the, the yeah. Mavs arena? Yeah, and there they played like played hundreds like, of staffers like giving him a hero's welcome. And they played multiple tribute videos throughout the game, one of which moved him to, to sobs. And then, of course, they had this post-game ceremony uh, where Scottie Pippen, Sean Kemp, Detlef Schrempf, um, Larry Bird are all there to kind of send him off. And then finally, he says, this is my last home game, making it official. Um, he and Dwayne both dropped 30 points in their final games. They both get the W. And, you know, just a couple of really moving nights for two absolute pillars of the sport. And, I mean, this is like, really like the last, it's, it's Vince Carter who's left, right? Of this sort of generation of NBA stars. Um, both Duncan gone and Manu gone, you know, McGrady gone, Garnett, like we're, we're seeing the end of, of an NBA era. And I think for us in particular, like this is the NBA era that we kind of grew up with. Like these are the NBA stars that we kind of came to know when we started following the game. And I mean, that's been sort of sobering for me. Just it's, it's really the first time in my life that I've watched like entire careers unfold, uh, seen them begin and end. And it's just kind of a crazy feeling. And I, I know like both Dirk and Wade have sort of been on the periphery of the league for at least the last couple of years. It's still going to be weird just to not have them in the game, I think. Yeah, it's going to be really weird. And I just, you know, I know other people have mentioned it and written about it and whatever, but the the perfection of Wade and Dirk going out in the same year and then going out at home on the same night and both dropping 30 when you look at the parallels between their career and the finals battles and how you can like trace a line through their careers, especially in the last decade or so, um, that was just awesome. Uh, Wade, I thought, for the most part, had a solid season like in his role on the Heat. Mm-hmm. Dirk, I think it was pretty painful to watch him labor up and down the court. But that's why Dirk's performance... Obviously, he only had half the points and shot attempts, but reminded me a little of Kobe's um, final game of three years ago, which was also, if you remember, on a batshit crazy NBA night, the final night of that regular season. It was the Warriors clinching 73 and all that. But anyway, yeah, and Dirk's performance reminded me a little bit of Kobe's last performance because similar to Kobe, it was just so obvious throughout the year. Like, they had nothing left in the tank. They were a shadow of them for themselves. And it was like, for one night, it, they just had it in them. They summoned whatever was left in their bodies and whether, I don't know know if you want to call it courage or just like they knew they they were saving a little in the tank for that last game, whatever it was, but it was just awesome to watch. And the other thing, like we're mentioning how crazy last night was in the NBA, the Dirk thing on its own would usually be the biggest story. Like, Like one of the greatest players of all time announcing his retirement, having that performance, crying on the court, 
let alone to do it on the same night as Wade, and then the whole Wade thing, like, again, Wade's stuff alone would usually dominate social media in the NBA. He fell into John Legend and Chrissy Teigen at one point, who spilled their drinks. Yeah. He, Utterly wiped out on the scorer's he table. He fell <laughs> trying to recreate his epic, like, jumping on the screen. He, he straight up fell and had to, like, make fun of himself on the yeah. mic. Last night was just absurd for so many reasons. And and the and the Heat also, um, and we'll get to this in a second, but while their game was going on, the Pistons were trailing by 22 points to, like, a skeleton Grizzlies team led by DeLon Wright and Bruno Caboclo and Tyler Zeller. And if if the Pistons had lost that game, I mean, the Heat would have still been alive in the playoff race, and that might not have been Dwayne Wade's final home game after all. But while that was all going on, the Pistons managed to come back and win that game behind a tremendous performance from Ish Smith, and and that eliminated the Heat and basically assured that this would be Dwayne Wade's last game at American Airlines Arena. So, um, I mean, that Pistons game, look, they, they looked just utterly dead in the water. Blake Griffin, obviously dealing... He's playing on one leg right yeah, now. Yeah, he's dealing with a leg injury and just... He basically didn't play at all in the He was emotional half. at 1.2 on the bench. He had like a towel over his head and it was when... The Pistons were down at the time and he had come out of the game and I think it was like him realizing he couldn't do anything about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, luckily for him, the Pistons came back and we'll see if he plays tonight. But yeah, he, whatever happens with the Pistons, unless... Blake Griffin makes a miraculous recovery by the weekend. I don't see how he's going to be healthy for round one of the playoffs. Which is just brutal because he's had such a great season. And, I mean, not even just in terms of putting up great numbers, but in terms of really transforming himself into, I think, the kind of player that we've sort of always wanted to see him become. Um, and, And that is like, you know, the idea of him, I think, as a point forward has sort of been more speculative than real over the past couple of years, but it was real this year. Like the the extent to which he was handling the ball, shooting pull-up threes, uh, being a primary playmaker for a team that would have been utterly sunk without him. I mean, he carried that team to where it is. And they were really starting to play some good basketball in the second half of the season and looking like, I don't think they were any danger to win a first round series, but I think they could have given a team a test for sure. And... Now it's like if he can't go or if he's at, you know, 60%, I mean, they're probably going to get swept yeah. realistically. So and embarrassed. Yeah. So that's a huge bummer, but I think you know, they they do deserve credit for engineering that comeback because it looked for a minute like they were just going to miss the playoffs entirely. And now all they have to do is beat the Knicks to get in. So I, I think they'll be all right on that front. So that was wild and Meanwhile, in that game in which, you know, Dirk was saying his farewell, dropping 30 points, Jamal Crawford, 40-year-old Jamal Crawford, scores 51 points <laughs> off the bench. He, he's the oldest person to ever break the 50-point threshold. 51 points is the most that anyone has ever scored coming off of the bench. So that was ridiculous. And I mean, I, I would assume that Jamal Crawford will be in the NBA again next season, but... I can't say that with any degree of certainty. I mean, that might have been his farewell. Yeah, you, you talk about a guy who looked like he didn't have much left in the tank this year. He wasn't playing a lot. Just uh, like, honestly, out of everything that happened last night, I understand like a lot of bigger things happened. And, uh, you know, I mentioned Magic's impromptu resignation being out of nowhere. But I honestly think this might have actually been the most out of nowhere development. Like, if, if you had told me all these things that were going to happen, even the Magic resignation, I'd be like, that's out of nowhere. But I guess it makes sense. And if on that list it was Jamal Crawford's like going for fifty tonight, I've been like, no, that's definitely the thing that's not happening. He right. just he did not seem capable of scoring thirty points anymore, let alone fifty. 
Um, I do think it was probably a nice. I don't. I don't want to say a nice fu, but I think it was a nice statement for him. Um, to coach Igor Koskosov. They they've had this like weird thing all year where even when they were in Toronto and I was there at the game and like being around them in scrums and stuff. Koskosov like repeatedly made references to the fact that Jamal Crawford would often joke around with him like do you know who I am kind of thing because he didn't play him much <laughs> right and he would say he would say that Crawford would like joke around with him about like you know YouTube me check me out and Crawford was like making these kind of like passive aggressive comments that day as well and this was months ago so I do wonder if there was just like a, a, a little bit of satisfaction there for Jamal Crawford so that his coach no longer has to YouTube his his highlights in the NBA he was able to see them up close nice um I mean, we should also mention that for, for a bunch of teams, this was not actually the last night in the regular season, but there were a couple of games that just had massive playoff implications in terms of seeding and matchups. I think the biggest one of those was this Rockets-Thunder game, because after the Nuggets lost to the Jazz, all the Rockets had to do was win this game, and they would have clinched the number two seed. Guaranteed themselves of avoiding the Warriors until the conference finals. Guaranteed themselves of having home court in the second round. They were dominating the Thunder for three and a half quarters. They're up 14 points with nine minutes to play, and they're just that close to locking up number two. The Thunder, out of nowhere, go on this 15 to nothing run. The Rockets basically gather themselves, retake the lead. They're up four points with 20 seconds to play. Russell Westbrook hits just an absurd pull-up three in transition to cut it to one. The Thunder foul. Rockets hit both free throws, and then the Thunder go for a quick two despite not having any timeouts left. And this is normally a decision that I really dislike, but I think it's kind of more justifiable for the Thunder just because they really don't have a ton of three-point shooting. So they get the quick two. There's still about nine seconds left on the clock. They get a quick foul, and Harden goes to the line, makes the first, misses the second. Westbrook grabs the rebound. Goes down the floor, finds Paul George in the corner who hits a ridiculous contested three over P.J. Tucker to give the Thunder the lead with one second to play. The Rockets still have a timeout left. Out of that timeout, James Harden gets a clean look to win the game. It rims out. And now they're in a a position where they are at risk of falling to the four seed, which would mean seeing the Warriors in the second round. And for the Thunder, if they had lost this game... Their destiny basically would have been out of their hands. They would have been staring at a first-round matchup with the Warriors, and now they're looking at potentially finishing sixth, staying out of the Warriors' bracket entirely. I mean, just like the the ridiculous swing from that like nine-minute stretch is just kind of hard to wrap your head around. Yeah, and we should mention again part of how wild last night was. The reason the Rockets are probably going to also finish fourth is because Mo Harkless, Mo Harkless. (laughs) Hit a buzzer-beating three to beat the Lakers for Portland that now puts the Blazers in the driver's seat to get the number three seed, which kudos to them. We've talked about how much the use of Nurkic injuries should end their playoff hopes. But So the ramifications of these two buzzer-beaters, or in Paul George's case, a near-buzzer-beater, the ramifications of that really are going to reverberate throughout the West playoffs because you're looking at, for Houston, as you mentioned— avoiding the Warriors until the West Finals and setting up that West Finals rematch. Now most likely having to, A, play a very, very good Utah team in the first round that I don't think anyone would be shocked if Utah pulled off the upset or at least pushed the Rockets to six or seven games. So they got to go do that in the first round. I I, I will say I would be very surprised if Utah pulled that upset. I'd be surprised but not shocked. I I don't think... This is a very good outcome for Utah. I'll say that. Of course it's not, but I also think it's not. It's a terrible outcome for the Rockets, right? Like, yeah. 
Uh, I think and, out of those bottom four teams in the West, the Jazz are clearly the best one. Yep. And they now have to play them in the first round. And then they got to play the Warriors in the second round, most likely, as opposed to saving them till the West Finals. And then for the Blazers, the ramifications are... The Blazers, who, you know, I still think aren't going to win a first-round series, but looked dead in the water in that 4-5 bracket. Move up to 3. The ramifications for the Thunder are that they probably get to play the nurkic Blazers in the first round and avoid the Warriors for the first two rounds. So just the... Great, great outcome for the Thunder. Right. They, and, um, they we, make out like bandits yeah. in this case. I mean, we should qualify this by saying, like, they still have to beat the Bucks uh, in the last game of the regular season to make this stick. In Milwaukee. I believe. Yeah. But who's going to be playing for the Bucks? That's a great question. I mean, I, I think Giannis definitely won't be playing. Maybe Middleton will play. I mean, maybe a couple of their role players will play. But, like, yeah, Giannis won't be there. So so that should be a win for the Thunder. But I think you just never know with this team. Like, they've just been so, so up and down and have really suffered some inexplicable and inexcusable losses. So we shouldn't write anything in just yet. But this was a night of fantastic outcomes for them, um, and and one of which they authored themselves, which was making that extraordinary comeback in the fourth quarter. And like I said, I mean, for the Jazz, this could work out really poorly, because I think they were in pretty good shape if they were going to play the Blazers in round one. Man, the, the Blazers, I, like, as much as they almost totally blew this by losing to a team of Lakers scabs, basically. I mean, that's what this is at this point. Alex Caruso was shredding them in the pick and roll. Had like 13 assists in this game. Uh, we're leading with like a minute to go. Um, but as you said, Mo Harkless hits that clutch buzzer-beating three to, again, swing these outcomes so wildly. And I don't know. I, I don't know if this ch- actually changes their outlook that much because I, I think the Thunder probably are still going to be pretty heavy favorites right. if that is the first-round matchup. But... For them to put themselves in position, and again, they also have to win to to lock this up. Like they have to beat the Kings on the last game of the regular season to to actually finish in the three spot. So I don't think that'll be a picnic for them. Um, but for them to have put themselves in position to get the three seed is really extraordinary. And I would like to shout out Ennis Cantor, who I think has played quite well since taking over for Nurkic, even at the defensive end. Obviously, he's always going to have those limitations. You know, just because of his footwork and and his sort of lack of awareness in the pick and roll. But like. I think he's defended about as well as I've seen him defend in his career in these past few games. And obviously, he's just been a beast on the offensive glass. He's scored pretty efficiently. Um, he's done a good job, and they've just continued chugging along and continued winning. And and here they are again with a chance to, you know, potentially actually make some noise in the postseason. But the one thing I'd worry about is McCollum just hasn't really looked right since he came back from that knee injury. So obviously, if, if he doesn't get back to 100%, I think they're toast in the first round no matter what. But kudos to them for putting themselves in a good position yeah and you know if if they do lose to the kings which again i i think is very possible just sacramento is um sacramento is honestly just playing for pride and just wants to finish the season on a high note a great season for them so i wouldn't be surprised at all if portland on a back-to-back does lose to sacramento and fall back down to four but in that case Paul George's game winner then essentially what it did is set up a Houston OKC first round right. series. So just which would be pretty good for OKC be, because it, they're three and one against Houston this season. I think that's actually a decent matchup for them. Paul George has done a very solid job on James Harden. Any, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the Rockets would have the edge in that series. But they'd but, get beat up when even if they win, they'd get beat up winning yeah. that series. And again, I just I think the Rockets definitely lost the most last night. Oh yeah, with that pendulum swing, and I think the Thunder gained the most. Yeah. And also. 
One thing to note, too, in everything getting lost last night is it, they're saying it was minor. They only ended up pulling him for precautionary reasons. But through all this madness last night, Steph Curry rolled his ankle pretty right. bad. And like, Which is another one of those things that, like, on any ordinary NBA night, that would be the headlining yeah. story. Is he going to miss game one like, yeah. of the first round? And last night, it was like the 13th biggest story. Yeah, and it is just crazy the swings that the Rockets underwent last night because their path to the Western Conference Finals was looking so clear. I mean, they were they were staring at probably playing either the Spurs or the Clippers in round one and then having home court against the Nuggets, a team they've absolutely owned in the second round. I mean, they were home free. And that was all snatched away from them. And suddenly, you know, they're looking at a pretty tough road. And I, there, there are some people who would argue they're better off playing the Warriors in round two because maybe James Harden will have a little bit more in the tank than he might otherwise. They have a better chance of having Chris Paul healthy. And, you know, maybe the Warriors are a little bit more vulnerable, especially if this foot injury that Steph's now dealing with is a persistent thing. So it might not be a might terrible be a outcome for disguise, them. Yeah. I just think at the end of the day, like, you want to be playing for as long as possible. And I won't say the Rockets have no chance of beating the Warriors, but it's a, it's a slim chance. So I, I think if they had their druthers, they would obviously prefer to be seeing them in the West Finals. <laughs> So one last thing that happened tonight, that, last night that got just totally buried was a couple of dueling reports about the Minnesota Timberwolves front office situation. Uh, Woj tweeted basically that Scott Layden, their general manager, and Ryan Saunders, who has been their interim head coach since Tom Thibodeau was fired, were both going to get re-signed. Shortly thereafter, John Krachinski, uh, Wolves beat writer, reported that uh, in fact, the Wolves had opened up the position of president of basketball operations that's been unfilled since Thibodeau was fired. And whoever they hire for that job is actually going to make a decision on Scott Layden and Ryan Saunders. So I think, you know, Krachinski has done an excellent job reporting on the Wolves all Friend season of the show. long. And uh, again, yeah, he came on the show when, when Thibodeau lost his job. Uh, he's been on top of pretty much every weird twist and turn that that Wolves season has taken. I think... Ultimately, I mean, if his reporting is to be believed, I don't think that Scott Layden, at the very least, is going to have his job next season. Ryan Saunders, I don't know if if I would have much optimism that he'd be there either. I, I, I think if that were the case, if those guys did keep their jobs and sign extensions, like that's a pretty uninspiring choice for a team that is probably in in need of a shakeup. I, you know what, I could I could talk myself into giving Ryan Saunders a full year. Um, as an NBA coach to see what he's about. like The players seem to rave about him. He had them at least playing hard um, after the Thibodeau, Thibodeau firing, and their defense was looking all right for portions of uh, of his tenure. But yeah, Scott Layden, I think, needs to go. Like You talk about uninspiring mm-hmm. um, as an executive. But I will say the, the most shocking thing about last night might have been that someone won up to Woj in reporting. <laughs> like, that might have been the true shocking part yeah. of Tuesday night in the NBA, that within, what, 15 minutes of a Woj report... Of a Woj bomb, someone else. Woj was he was too distracted. He was busy flaming the Lakers organization on Twitter. And this is what happens when you take your eye off the ball, man. But I will say, I mean, again, you know, we were talking about the Lakers job. I actually think the Wolves job does hold some intrigue because you've got Carl Anthony Towns, who is a foundational star and one that, in theory at least, should be pretty easy to build around. I mean, 
he like is about as plug and play as big men can get. I know he has his defensive limitations, but like, like offensively flawless, flawless. W- like worse defensive big men than him have managed to be sort of hidden and papered over with particular defensive schemes, right? And, and the right personnel around them. You know, you look at Nikola Jokic and Nikola Vucevic. Like, you can put him in a position to succeed at that end of the floor. Offensively, I mean, you put any complimentary four guys around him, like you're going to have an above average offense. What complicates that is obviously the Wiggins contract, and you know you're going to have some decisions to make on like Tyus Jones coming up, and I don't know. There's maybe not a ton of upward mobility there, but I think that would be a job that would generate a lot of interest. I don't know. I, you got a, a bunch of teams that, that have front office positions to fill right now. It's going to be really interesting to see how that shakes out. It is. Not as interesting as last night in the association, but interesting nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, but just a crazy night in the league. And again, there will be more craziness to come tonight, I am sure. But we will be back tomorrow with our planned podcast where we're basically just going to run through all of the first round series. For now, we're going to sign out. Uh, thank you for listening to this emergency episode, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Tomorrow.